0: Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech
1: podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. To episode 84 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas that you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning.
0: And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And in today's episode, There is a lot going on with Google. We just recently had the Google Cloud Next conference, and they announced a whole bunch of updates, and there's just been new stuff dropping left and right, right and left with Google. So in this episode, you're going to hear about just a ton of different changes and new features and new options about lots of the Google products that you love, including Calendar, Gmail, Drive, Slides, and so on and so forth. And of course, we will have uh, the mailbag with messages from you, the tribe, and some blog posts to check out. So I think it's time to get started. Casey, you ready?
1: Let's do it. Okay, y'all, as Matt told you in the introduction, there were so many updates that came out of the Google Cloud Next conference. I don't. Know, I kind of wish they had a better name for that conference. I just it just doesn't sound cool <laughs> right. cool enough. It needs a cool factor because all the nerds geek out when these updates come out, kind of like they do when Apple has their uh, conference, and all all the geeks love hearing about the updates, and uh, I am included in that <laughs> that geekiness. So I love hearing about all these things, and as I started digging in, I realized how many things will begin to impact teachers, and students. And that's really why we wanted to be sure that we share these with you. So this episode will be a little bit more about how-to kind of things, productivity types of things, a little less on implementation, but we do have some super fun things that are going on outside of just the updates that we're also going to share from from Google. So, the first thing that I want to share with you is actually from the Keyword blog and it's about Tech Day. And Tech Day happened uh, just a couple weeks ago at Google's Mountain View campus, where they had 875 high school students who stopped by for this annual event. And you can see in the blog post, there's this great picture of them all gathered and jumping in the air at the same time. And it just looks like a really fun group of kids. But what's great about this program is it's not just about fun and games. This is totally focused on STEM. And it's designed for students who may not have regular access to technology classes at their schools. So the students who attend don't necessarily have a lot of tech experience, but they might leave the event inspired to possibly pursue a different career path. So there's some more details of course in the blog post about this event but it looks really fun and I love that at the end they say that their main takeaway from the students is that they're curious about tech and excited to learn outside of the classroom. I saw raw passion, curiosity and excitement in the students. I just love that. That's a great quote.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big takeaway to have and you know maybe that's a a nudge to some of us to give kids opportunities to explore tech and STEM related things. And if we think that maybe they're not all that interested in it, you know, maybe we're misguided on that. And maybe if we give them the opportunities to pursue some of that, it could be kind of a big deal. So uh, yes, absolutely. Very, very good program that they've got going there. The next one that we've got Um, has to do with some historic sites that you can go explore in 3D. So this is almost like some of those on-demand virtual field trips that you can take with your students, um, directly through your browser. And since World Heritage Day came up recently, um, Google Arts and Culture. Yay, Google Arts and Culture. Yay. Yay, Google Arts and Culture. Culture, Yay! Yay. Highlighted a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these places that are, they're trying to preserve digitally. You know, there are some of these locations that are in um, sort of in in danger and need to be preserved in some way. And so there's all of this 3D documentation that's going on. Um, You know, recently they did some in Mexico City. Um, There's a couple of other places in Greece. There's the Thomas Jefferson Memorial in the United States. Um, you know, all of these places where they're gathering information about these locations, they're gathering 3D data so that they can make 3D models and renderings of them and to be able to preserve all of these. And so what's neat about that is that you can go to the Open Heritage Project Um, through Google Arts and Culture. And you can go explore a lot of these places. Um, Casey and I were just talking about how with, um, you know, recent events in France with the Notre Dame Cathedral, um, you know, basically getting engulfed in flames, this sort of highlights the importance of this, you know, that some of these locations have the potential of being lost forever if we aren't able to you know, preserve and capture them in at least some way. And so a lot of that work has already been started. And you can go uh, check out the link to be able to go tour and check out some of these places digitally.
1: I love that. And I love that we can also begin implementing that in 3D and with VR and VR goggles. So lots of of really great places to explore. Explore connected to World Heritage Day, even if you're not actually doing it on World Heritage Day. Now I'm gonna shift gears just a little bit here to share something else from the keyword blog that caught my attention. And it is, as Matt called it, one of the causes of the Google Teacher Tribe. One of the things that we love to promote is girls getting interested in coding and gaming. And so this is called Want to Change the Game? Design Your Own with Google Play. And essentially, they are inviting uh, teens to share their game idea and vision for the future of gaming for a chance to see their game come to life on Google Play. So they've opened up this, this second annual game design challenge in Collaboration with Girls Make Games to inspire teens to consider a career in gaming. So I love this. We're celebrating women as players and creators. And the grand prize winner will win $15,000 in college scholarship money and $15,000 for their school. So it's a really awesome opportunity. The blog post itself is pretty short, but you can see that there is a link to... Um, the details about how to enter. And it looks like the submission deadline is June 7th, 2019. So if you have any teen girls in your classes, or maybe you've got some clubs, or if you're doing Made with Code, I think this is a fantastic opportunity for some of the girls and young women in our schools.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in the On the page that talks about this program, it says you've already got what it takes. You don't need expert coding skills or perfect drawings to be a game changer. The most important thing about your game is that you dreamed it up and then you made it. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be anything super flashy. And then it does say that the winners will have their game ideas built and launched on Google, the Google Play um, store. So, you know, it you don't have to be an expert coder to be able to jump into this, which is, is super cool. So... We're going to again switch gears and we're going to talk about some updates to calendar. And if you're like me, you know, calendar is one of those G Suite tools that you rely, rely on a lot of times daily. I know for me, um, if I didn't have my calendar and wasn't able to plug everything in, um, I would be a mess. So, uh, calendar continues to add new features and we've got a handful of them to show you. For instance, number one, if your school has rooms set up in calendar. So there's a way that you can identify the different rooms, the different meeting rooms that you have in a building or in an organization. Rooms will no longer accept two calendar events that overlap in time for us for the same room. So if you're trying to, you know, or organize an event in the small conference room and somebody's already got the small conference room booked, you won't be able to you know you won't be able to create a calendar event in that spot. So I think they're trying to help you not double book your rooms by by setting that up. So that is one kind of nice feature. Another one is that if you have set up a calendar event and have made it so that other people can invite other people to the calendar event the easy way to do that is to take the email or to, yeah, to take the email from the calendar event and forward it to others. And then just within the line in your inbox of that email, there would be a little drop down that says RSVP. And so now all you've really got to do is take that calendar invite email and forward it to the people you want to invite. and then they can RSVP and add themselves in. So it makes it super, super easy to add a bunch of people to an event. So that's new too. It's a couple of other things too. So if you've ever tried to find a common meeting time for you and your coworkers or with other people, um, now we've got the ability to peek at other people's calendars whenever you're trying to find a time when everybody can meet. It says, now when you add a calendar in the search for people box, you can temporarily view coworkers' calendars. And so they kind of pop up in a different color right next to yours. Creating a new event then automatically adds those people as guests to your meeting and might suggest a title for the meeting. So if you're trying to find a time to meet between multiple people, this is a super easy way to do it. And then finally, this is item number four about calendar, is that now whenever you're creating a new calendar event, you have more fields that you can fill in. So for instance, the guests field, rooms, location, conferencing, and description. Now you can edit those. Those are now editable directly in the meeting creation pop-up dialog. So you once you add your coworkers' calendars then they'll load right in the background, making it even easier and faster to find an available time for everyone. So a little bit more flexibility when creating your calendar events and when you're trying to find times for everybody to meet and when you're trying to find a room to meet and all of that, this all makes things a little bit easier.
1: I love it. I always love Google Calendar. I wouldn't know what to do. It rules my day-to-day world. So I love that they are making it easier for us to interact and and book meetings and find times and all of those fabulous things. So Google just keeps adding more and more features. And guess what, y'all? They have added a feature to one of the Google Teacher Tribe's favorite applications. Guess what it is? (laughs) <laughs> slides. Gotta be slides. <laughs> it's gotta be slides. I think we talked more about slides than any other tool, but yes, they are giving us something that I think a lot of people have been missing. So we are now going to have the ability to customize the theme colors. So that means you can change it in the theme instead of having to go customize the color on each individual slide, which can take forever. Or having to go into the master slide and make some tweaks there to make things work. You can actually adjust the theme itself. So they've got a little gif going in the blog post that shows how it looks. And in fact, I wish somebody else had been in charge of this because the colors that they are changing this to make me want to scream.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
1: But they're they're not pretty, (laughs) y'all. So let's choose some pretty colors and pretty backgrounds. But what is going to be great is this is going to allow us to customize those themes now. You know, we've we've got some nice themes to choose from. And I generally go pretty generic because I want things to be easily read. And, you know, dark text on a light background and light text on a dark background. Those are usually the two routes that I go because if you throw too many colors in there, it really becomes harder for people to read and understand. So In terms of thinking about this with your students as well, this is not only going to help you as you are using slides for your lesson plans, but of course, showing students that this can now be customized for their different projects. And we all know and love on the Google Teacher Tribe, all of the various project ideas that we can use slides for that are beyond just using it for a presentation. So I'm really excited. I don't have this yet. I checked both my personal account and my G Suite for Education account. It's not in there yet, but it started rolling out on April 15th. So look for it to gradually roll out over the month of April and you should be able to customize that.
0: Casey, I think you make a good point about the, just sort of the accessibility implications behind the colors, you know, having white on dark or dark with white text um, really does make it easier for people to see. And yeah, if you look at this, this animated GIF that they've got in here, I think the best way to describe the colors is it's like plum and cornflower blue text on sand background. It's like. Yeah, it's it's not good choices. So
2: it looks
1: like a 1999 PowerPoint. <laughs> I don't know why they chose that. It one. Does
0: oh my goodness, yeah. I, I well, <laughs> we're we're leaving aesthetics up to the Google developers. So you know, maybe maybe that's what it was. So. Anyhow, let's let's keep moving. Let's move to drive. And more specifically, let's talk about team drives. I know that this is a big issue for uh, some of us in schools where we have files that are accessible to everybody in our department or everybody in our school or everybody in our district. And what's nice about that is that when something is put into a team drive, it doesn't have an owner, so to speak, because it's owned by the team drive. Now, what's tricky about that, if you've ever used this before, is that sometimes since, since there isn't an actual owner of it, like not owned individually, but since it's owned by the team, you can search for the owner, but it doesn't work. So now Team Drive has this nice search feature where you can search by the creator of the file. Since the person doesn't own it anymore, now you can search by the creator. And sometimes trying to find things in Team Drive can be kind of tricky since you don't have that owner feature, but now you've got the creator. So that's useful. Here's another one. If you have a whole bunch of team drives, like if you have one for your department and for your school and for a committee that you're on and for your entire district and all of these different team drives, some of them become kind of irrelevant where some of them just don't get used very often. You're now able to hide those team drives. So if you've got a whole bunch of them that you don't want to see or don't need to see, you can hide them so that... You can only see the ones that, that are, are really most useful to you. So again, like Casey was saying about the slides feature, this is something that's going to be rolling out during the month of April and maybe even into May. So if you haven't seen this yet, hang on. It's coming.
1: Okay. So over the last couple episodes, we have hit several new updates to Gmail. I think we've, we've had some new features coming along. We have said goodbye to the beloved inbox by Gmail that Matt and I both really enjoyed, but they are definitely kicking things up a notch with the Gmail capabilities. But recently on the keyword blog, they published some Gmail tips. So these are less about features and more about how to manage your inbox and your sanity. And I thought it would be really useful to share this because these are some of the things that I suffer from myself. Um, my inbox is crazy. I wish I could say I was one of those inbox zero people. That seems like something that it's just impossible to me at this point. So but these are some really good tips that, that I wanted to share with you about your inbox. And of course, you can apply this to other applications if you're using something else for your your email, but especially with Gmail. So number one tip is to cut down on notifications. And this is something I did a couple of years ago, but I turn off notifications on my phone for email. And because it's constantly distracting me from other things. So, you know, when you go into your phone and you set up all these notifications, if Everything is constantly buzzing and interrupting you. It makes it really hard to focus on one thing. So you can also set up notifications just for certain emails. So I've I've done that during some different t- uh, time periods to be able to focus on big projects or I wanted to know when an email came in from a certain person. But that allows you to also sort of disconnect when you need to disconnect and focus. So cutting down on not- notifications can definitely be a big Help. Uh, it, it's and that applies to so many other applications too. I don't know about you, Matt, but I I really try to trim down notifications for a lot of apps just because it's a constant distraction. And and a, a lot of times we don't even realize how many minutes out of the day it's taking from us. And our students are doing this too. So sometimes this might also be helping to model some of these skills so that they can prioritize and understand what's really important.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Like just having the real quick mention and conversation of, oh, yeah, I turn notifications off for that. Oh, I shut a bunch of my notifications down. And it's like if they see you model it, then that little mention may actually go a long way. I think that's a great point.
1: And it totally helps with your stress level, too. So I know even when I turn off notifications, sometimes if I just have like two seconds when I'm, you know, pulled into a parking lot and I check my email and I see something that I need to act on but I can't actually do it. It actually stresses me out more to to look at it and then be thinking about it whether and if I just let it alone for a little bit everything would be just fine. So, yeah, yeah, the stress that these different applications can put on us is is sometimes unnecessary, but number 2 in this list is to respond within 24 hours even if it's only to check in. And I wish I could say that I made this happen, but I just don't always have the time to respond within 24 hours. And if anybody's listening to this and is waiting on an email from me, I apologize. It's just the uh, sheer number of emails that I get that make, make this one difficult. The number three is to close out your email one to two times a day so that you're not looking at it and leaving it open all day. And, and that can be really difficult. And I, I, I do keep it as a pin tab, but I'm not always looking at it. And I actually, when I schedule my day, I schedule time for email so that I don't let it rule everything I'm doing. That Because otherwise, I'll just spend all day in my inbox. So um, number four is don't click on an email more than twice. Oh, that one's hard. So... You know, if you read an email and then mark it as unread, you'll have to read it again to remember what to do with it. And then so it's kind of I think it's almost like that cleaning your house thing, like how you're not supposed to touch an object more than once. You know, you just pick it up and put it away instead of just moving it to a different pile or whatever. And um, this one's hard because I don't always have the time to take the action. So I do use that mark as unread button probably a lot more than I should. Um, number five sorting reading and answering emails should be separate activities I don't know how that's possible but it says most people bounce between sorting one email for later reading one answering one and repeating and we lose so much energy between switching between these activities so it says instead tell yourself right now I'm sorting everything so I think that's a good tip
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I think that
1: you you know that's like organizing the room before you put everything away
0: Right. Exactly. It's like, don't they say that you lose so much energy? It's kind of like what they said earlier. Whenever you switch between tasks, if your brain can get focused in on one, then we're more efficient with that one. And then we switch to something else. That makes sense to me. Yes.
1: Yes. Number six is keep emails that require clear action. Otherwise, archive or delete. And I'll, I'll be very honest. I don't really use the delete button at all. I archive. Yeah, me too. Because there's somebody somewhere who's going to ask me about that email later. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. care. Who, or even if it's like an, an advertisement with a coupon that I think I don't need, I archive it because I forgot I had to go to Walgreens today and... You know, you always want to go to Walgreens with a coupon, so you have that handy. Number seven is skip some emails. Every email you see takes a tiny piece of your energy. I like to it's like it's stealing our soul. I was about something. to say that. Yeah, it takes a tiny
0: piece of our soul. That's what it feels like to me anyway.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it says each item in your inbox should be something you need to look at. Gmail lets you create filters so that certain emails skip your inbox and won't appear as new emails. I do this. I do this a lot. I have tons of filters and I do have some things that go straight into archive and and setting some things up. You can also do that to help find um some of those distracting emails or things that you need to unsubscribe from as well. Those mm-hmm. newsletters that fill up our inbox. Number eight, don't mix your read and unread emails. Ooh, this one sounds kind of mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Combining read and unread emails in your inbox is a recipe for anxiety. New emails should come into one section and emails that you've already read require an action should be in a different section. And by using the multiple inbox pane... In the settings in Gmail, you can set that up and move things into different labels or different uh, tabs inside Gmail. But uh, does it count if I just mark it as unread? So then it, so then they're all unread. <laughs> (laughs)
0: i don't know that kind of feels like cheating but hey who am i i'm an i'm a hot mess when it comes to email so i'm the last one to judge
1: yeah yeah that's that's breaking what was that the rule about not clicking on one more than once i'm breaking rule number four the number nine is to stay focused keep new email out of sight it can be hard to answer pressing emails when you're constantly tempted to open the bright and shiny new email that just came in and that that can happen you know sometimes like, oh, well, that's going to be way more fun to answer that question than <laughs> right. it is this one that's going to take me like half the day to work on and get this done. So because um, that that's how things happen too inbox is not really supposed to be our task list, but a lot of times I know it becomes a task. It gets turned into a task because there are so many ways that you can do that, which, by the way, does everybody know you can convert a Gmail message into a task in Google Tasks? super helpful nice. if you yeah. use google tasks to do that so yeah and last but not least number 10 is to find what you need just search and that has saved me so many times but you know the email labels help us categorize things and get things organized, but just that big search box can help you find things faster. I know that's I I don't know how many times a day I use that to search for things and I'm looking and trying to remember conversations that I've had. What did we discuss? What did we agree upon? You know, maybe those parent emails that are coming in, making sure that when the parent doesn't show up for that parent teacher conference, well maybe I wrote the time down wrong. I'm going to go look at my email and verify so that you can have that that extra count of uh, accountability between each person who's agreeing to meet and things like that, too. So um, I think these are some great tips. And I, I hope everybody found this worthwhile. I just thought it was a great article to share. And I know everybody sort of suffers from this inbox insanity.
0: Right. Yeah. This is definitely something that touches everyone. I know for me, I'm interested in digging into this whole, uh, multiple inboxes thing that, that you just mentioned. I think as soon as we get done recording here, that's the thing I'm going to be looking at. So yeah, definitely, definitely good stuff. So there you have it, a whole bunch of updates to some of those G Suite products that we know and we love. You know, we're always trying to keep you up to date on things. And there are even more updates that we couldn't even get to today. So we're going to continue bringing those to you on the next episode and in future episodes. So definitely keep an eye and an ear out for that and if you want to get the links or more information about any of these, of course, you can head to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 84.
1: And I also wanted to mention that there was a big summary that Google put out about Google Cloud Next. So we've included a link to the summary of all of those announcements since there's no possible way to fit them all into one episode. So those are also in our show notes. There's a letter in your mailbox.
0: Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. So it's time to hear from you, from the tribe. We got a couple of really cool little tips from uh, Twitter this week. And so I wanted to share a couple of those with you. The first one comes from Rebecca. And Rebecca says, this was something that kind of flew under the radar with me. This is something that I learned about too. She said, save a web page to your Google Drive instead of printing because hey if we don't have to print we probably shouldn't print right she says i just found this by accident simply change your print destination to google drive and the web page you are looking at becomes a pdf so and she she gives a link to the google support page that shows you how to do this so so if you've got a page especially something like a you know a blog article or a web page and if you were thinking about printing it instead of using the destination as your printer Just change the destination to save to Google Drive and it'll change it into a PDF and stick it right into your drive. Pretty cool stuff. So there's that one. And then there was another quick one. And this one was from good old Joe Marquez. He actually posted this before he was on the show last week. And so he says, are you a Pear Deck fan? And have you been dying to use the closed captioning feature during a Pear Deck lesson? He's talking about how if you use Google Slides, we have this live closed captioning feature. We've talked about it a couple times on the show where your microphone picks up your speech and in real time will transcribe it onto the screen. And he says that here is a way to do it. And so he has created a little video that will show you how to make the most of closed captioning while you're running one of those interactive pair deck presentations where you have the interactive slides. So a couple of cool, quick little tips that you may not have known about.
1: I love that the tribe is always so willing to share and to rely on each other to ask questions and get some good answers. And we have just that. So a longtime listener, Bailey Sandsmark, has left us a speak pipe message. Hint, hint. Y'all know we love the speak pipes when we can play your voice on air. And Bailey has a great question. In fact, she's really hurting my brain right now. So thank you for this, Bailey. It's a great question. She is using Google Forms to update fitness scores for her students, but she's also got this connected to Google Sheets and running the Autocrat add-on, and she wants to do something that sounds pretty spectacular to me, but I'm not quite sure if it will do what she thinks it should be able to do. So take
2: it away, Bailey. Hi, Google Teacher Tribe. My name is Bailey Sandsmark. Uh, you guys have not let me down so far when I've had a question on here, so I'm hoping that you can help me on this one. I want my students to update their fitness scores basically through a Google form to a Google sheet and then have Autocrat run them a report. And I would like for them to be able to essentially, you know, use the same form all the time that updates to the same sheet, which I know I can do that. But then when it goes to the autocrat, like I don't necessarily want their data to be like I want the most recent data, but then I also want all of the data to be graphed. So like if they're inputting their, say their mile times, I want that data to be graphed for them so that they can see their progress in a visual way. So hopefully that makes sense. Or maybe you guys have a different way to do it. That's a little bit easier. I'm not really sure. Um, But if you're familiar with Autocrat and how that works and you have some tips, that would be awesome. Thank you, Google Teacher Tribe. I'm not exactly
1: sure without doing a ton of research and trying to figure this out, how to make this work, how to have it update the report for students and to... Allow her to use this in a way where she can keep this information on these reports. So I want to put this out to the tribe. This question goes to any of you who feel like you can help Bailey tackle this problem. So I think this is a great idea, and I think it could be used in a lot of different ways in terms of working with students and bringing in student data from other places as well. So I would love to hear from you. Go to googleteachertribe.com slash feedback. Leave us a speak pipe to help us answer this question. So let's jump on over to the blogs and see what's been happening I have a new post that I am excited to share with you. It's called the Teacher's Guide to Digital Choice Boards. And this post has culminated over several years of work and presentations and working with teachers. I love choice boards. Y'all have probably heard me call them learning menus more than choice boards, but most people call them choice boards. And we use Google a lot to create these, you know, creating tic-tac-toe boards and other types of really cool menus and slides. So I've tried to put this together in a cumulative type of form so that it's a one-stop shop. So all of the templates that I've created and the ones I've mentioned on my blog and in my book are all in this post. So this post is also a podcast episode, so you can listen to it and hear me explain it all as well as get it all in the post or download it in a free PDF. So kind of got three different ways that you can engage with this and save this little ebook to um, your Google Drive and share this with other teachers who are interested in learning how to differentiate and give students some choice. So there's lots of fun freebies in here. There's product choice ideas and some tips and things that I learned the hard way, I should say, (laughs) all those things as a teacher that I uh, would now do differently have been included in this post.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's that's an amazing resource. And how much is that? Isn't that like 20 or $30 or like $170 or something? No, what? it's for I was trying to like, <laughs> joke about. You,
2: you cut
1: out again. So all I heard was the ah. 100. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's not your fault. The,
0: that's okay. Okay.
1: I, was, oh, I can react again. Hang on.
0: No. Okay. Okay. Here, I'll say I'll say it again. We'll start over. Okay. okay I'm sorry. Wow, that is. That's an amazing resource. And how much is that again? Isn't it like $20 or $30 or $170 or something?
1: It's $100 per page. No, just kidding. Of (laughs) course, it's free. Free, free, free. That's how we roll.
0: Yeah, exactly. That is is pretty impressive. So definitely go check that out. Um, I have a post that was just put on the Ditch That Textbook blog recently about Google Drawings. uh, One of my absolute favorite Google tools. And... This was sort of a collaboration with the Ditchbook Twitter community. So, if you've never checked out the Ditchbook hashtag, um, you know, we're we're sharing all sorts of cool things that you can do with technology in the classroom. And boy, people came out with some really cool ideas for ways to use Google Drawings. Google Drawings, of course, is kind of like your um, it's kind of like your poster board, uh, digital poster board uh, in the G Suite. And so, we've got a variety of. Um, examples. Uh, for instance, creating scenes that demonstrate what they've learned on a topic of study. That was from Roxy Thompson, who I know listens to the Google Teacher Tribe every single week because she tags me on Instagram every single week, which is awesome. Uh, we got a suggestion for a challenge board from Kim Matina, friend of the tribe. Uh, we also have some other ideas like infographics and caption this you know, from a variety of different folks. So if you want to see the examples that they shared and get some ideas on how you could kick up your Google Drawings game, uh, definitely go check out the link to this and all the stuff from the show at our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 84. We have had a lot of stuff in this episode, haven't we? Lots of little tidbits and tips and new features and everything. Hopefully you've found one or two things that can improve things for you in your life, in your classroom, and all of that. So um, please do be in touch. Like we were saying earlier, head to googleteachertribe.com slash feedback to leave us questions or tips or tricks or cool things you're doing with Google tools. And of course... If you do find the show useful, if you haven't subscribed or rated or reviewed it on iTunes or anything like that, all of that stuff is super, super helpful. And we do love to hear from you in that way. So I think that does wrap it up for this episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. And we will see you on the next episode. Bye, y'all.